Welcome to another episode of the Deborah Health Report, where we dive into the current health and medical topics to keep the Delaware Valley informed and updated. Last month, we covered sleep disorders and heart care with Dr. Khan, which you can still listen to at DeborahHealthReport.com. This month, we have a new discussion with electrophysiologist Dr. Hines about heart arrhythmia prevention, detection, and treatment. Here's Rasa Kay. Hi, I'm Rasa Kay, host of the Deborah Health Report, hoping you're all much better rested now. So many downloads of our last report, which is still available on better sleep for better immunity and heart health. This conversation also touches on fatigue's effect on heart rhythms and a whole lot more you need to know to keep your heartbeat strong and steady. I'm Rasa Kay, and I'm talking with electrophysiologist Dr. John Hines of Deborah, and we're talking about heart rhythms today and arrhythmia, which is an erratic heart rhythm. But first of all, let's talk about what is a normal heartbeat? Heart rate varies through the course of our lifetime and also through the course of a day, but most importantly, uh, regularity. Um, that is constant uh, throughout our lifetime. When that becomes abnormal, then either the rate or the regularity is when we start to define um, a person's heart rhythm as being possibly an arrhythmia. All right, so we talked about normal heartbeat. When it becomes abnormal, and how do you define abnormal through the course of a day? Or abnormal, I think I need to get this checked. There are two types of ways that that can come to a patient's attention. It can come sometimes incidentally when the patient is going to have another procedure that um, requires at least a check of the heart rhythm or placement on a heart monitor and it's discovered uh, incidentally and the patient might not even be aware that this is occurring or the patient may have symptoms and they might feel that their pulse is not regular or that it's slower than normal or at sometimes faster than normal than what they would expect it to be given their current situation or activity. So many of us have something to monitor our heart rate. Either it's an app on your phone, you know, I have one, you can stick your finger over your camera and it'll, it'll take a reading, or they've got the smartwatch, or they've got a Fitbit or, or something that is telling them what their heart rate is if they want to check. Other times, they're going to feel different. What is the difference between your normal heartbeat and an erratic heartbeat that you would notice? What would be the symptoms of arrhythmia for someone? They can be quite um, expansive. They can range from just a subtle, I don't feel quite right, something's not normal, to somebody describing just unbearable palpitations which is they feel those heartbeat either like a skipping sensation or a fluttering is often described by many patients. So they can run the gamut. Sometimes the abnormal heart rhythm doesn't actually cause any fluttering or skipping beat, but they might notice that they're tired unexplicably or they're out of breath when they do an activity which is intermittent. Um, in terms of they could do something the day before and then repeat the same activity the following day and notice that they were short of breath with that activity. So those are the quite wide spectrum of symptoms that a patient can experience. 
And if you're not sure about it or you're looking for that added bit of technological information, how do you feel about these apps? Um, are they useful? Are they confusing? Are they unnecessarily alarming? What do you think of them? No, they are helpful. They are, uh, many of them now have FDA approval for detecting abnormal heart rhythms, but they are rudimentary in the basis of they're only as good as the amount of, you know, different ways of looking at the heart rhythm that they're capable of, which means that there are often false positives. That's a term that says that the device thinks that your heart rhythm is abnormal when in actuality it's not. But it's better to err on the side of caution than it is to miss it entirely. But it, these new devices have uh, increased um, many uh, patient concerns that in the end don't lead to anything abnormal, but they have been helpful in detecting heart rhythms that we would have otherwise not ever detected. Okay, so what causes a heart arrhythmia, whether it's something that's ongoing that might require treatment or these variations that we just talked about? There are many different causes and there's also different types of heart rhythm abnormalities. It could range from somebody's heart rhythm that is very, very fast when it shouldn't be it's one thing to have a fast heart rhythm if you're running up a flight of stairs. It's quite another if your heart rate is racing and you're sitting comfortably reading a book. The other pos possible problem that a patient can have is if their heart rhythm is abnormally slow. So let's say they are exerting themselves by walking at the mall or walking up the stairs and when their heart rate should increase, but it doesn't. And it remains either fixed or slow and that can um, be an abnormal finding as well. Then finally, the irregularity. So someone can have a normal heart rate, but if it's skipping and becomes irregular, that can also be a problem. The other mechanisms that can cause a heart rhythm problem is that the electrical impulse that's formed by the normal pacemaker of our heart is not conducted normally throughout the entire electrical system of the heart and that at any point along that conduction pathway can be interrupted or affected by disease and that can cause uh, an abnormal heart rhythm as well. Are some people just calibrated to rev higher or lower? There are some patients that do have, and I've seen them, that have slower resting heart rates. This is something that's intrinsic. Then also there are patients who are endurance type athletes that will have also slower resting heart rates. And then there are patients that also have higher resting heart rates. And the other problem that we'll see too is if they have comorbid illnesses, such as overweight, lung disease, anemia, these um, problems can lead to a faster resting heart rate. Can you live a normal life with any of the arrhythmias you just described? In many cases, you can. I had a patient who was in his 50s was a marathon runner and lived with an abnormal heart rhythm his entire life and it did not impact him uh, one way or um, at all and he was able to live a healthy active um, life without any symptoms or concerns. How do you cause an arrhythmia? How did they develop over time? Are there situations that because of lifestyle choices, food, beverage choices, personal, emotional situations that will bring on arrhythmia that may be temporary? Or what are the lifestyle choices that can lead to 
a problem that you're going to need to, to treat long term. There are a lot of things in what you just said that can be possible triggers or causes for having an abnormal heart rhythm. In some cases, let's say that you're very upset over a certain situation, um, significant stressors in your life, and that can just lead to an abnormal resting heart rate that is transient. Once that emotional stressor disappears, the problem will also resolve on its own. There are other triggers that can occur in some patients. Alcohol is one example where it's a well-known trigger of atrial fibrillation. Caffeine, whether it's in the form of an energy drink, coffee, tea, or even um, in some type of items that you can eat, say chocolate cake, those can be stimulants, and that can lead to a patient's abnormal heart rhythm. I had one friend who only developed their heart rhythm abnormality when they were under significant fatigue. He was a traveling salesperson, and when he really had to catch the red eye and was doing a lot of back-to-back out-of-town meetings, then at some point he would reach a fatigue level where then only then his symptoms would occur. So how do you prevent heart arrhythmias from either the triggers, though some of what you just described is kind of obvious, don't overindulge, right. don't, uh, don't mismanage your, your rest, et cetera, but, but in terms of the, the possibility for them to develop into a long-term problem, is there a way to prevent it? Are there lifestyle choices? Is it in your DNA? If your dad had heart rhythm problems, is that something you need to stay on top of? There are some heart rhythm abnormalities that are genetic. They're not very common and they would usually be known, but not always. As far as prevention, many of the heart rhythms abnormalities that we see can be associated with other comorbid illnesses. For example, atrial fibrillation, the number one predisposing risk factor is high blood pressure. But then there are other comorbid illnesses that can predispose somebody to abnormal heart rhythms, and that's obesity, sleep apnea. Those are the kind of diseases that we see frequently with these abnormal heart rhythms. Finally, abnormal heart rhythms are often a manifestation of underlying heart disease. And so the primary problem is the, to address the heart disease itself and that gets to healthy living, healthy eating, um, controlling your blood pressure, high cholesterol, and things along those lines. Finally, there's some abnormal heart rhythms that just are age-related in that no matter what you do, um, there is a higher incidence of abnormal heart rhythms that occur as we get older, and there's not anything you can do to prevent that in that situation. Is it ever gonna go away on its own, or do you have a safe window for waiting it out? ever? They sometimes will go away on their own, but that's only recommended after you've seen a healthcare professional because you don't want to treat yourself. The other problems are sometimes self-limiting and sometimes they're not. A lot of the times that these problems occur, they can reoccur. So anytime that you think there's something abnormal with your heart rhythm, you really should have a healthcare professional um, assess it before going on to the internet and Googling your symptoms and saying, okay, this is my diagnosis, I'll be fine. So you have your PCP, check out your, your symptoms, and they say time for to take it to the next level, and the call goes in to, to you. What is the experience for the patient in terms of your evaluation? It always starts off with a very detailed history. 
I let the patient um, describe what they're experiencing. I try to only listen as much as I can and very rarely do I interject a directed question because often the patient, when given enough time um, at the interview, will be able to tell what their problem is even though they may not know the medical diagnosis uh, terminology. The patient knows their body better than anybody else and if you listen carefully enough then you'll hear what the problem is and often you can make the diagnosis just by listening to the patient. Afterwards we examine the patient and frequently the patient, by the time they come to me, will have often had uh, their cardiac testing performed and all that information is put together to try to figure out what the problem is or if additional testing um, or procedures are required. Okay, additional testing. What would that be? That often in my field um, would be doing something to try to better document what the patient's abnormal heart rhythm might be if it has not been documented um, prior to seeing me, or it could involve um, a test where we do a procedure to look at the patient's electrical conduction system to test it to figure out um, if we can reproduce the patient's problem. Would you have them be monitored at home with something to, to sort of get the day-to-day -day We do that sometimes, yes. And we have monitors that can range from 24 to 48 hours up to a couple of weeks to 30 days and then finally we have these small, very small devices that can be implanted under a patient's skin that can last for several years. As a monitor? As a monitor, that's and that, correct. And that's not a pacemaker, that's a... No, it's not. It's a, just a simple little monitor that can be implanted easily under the skin. It's often done in doctor's offices and or the hospital and it's a quick 15-minute procedure go home and then the device is checked like a pacemaker. But um, the battery lasts for several years. But it's not a pacemaker. When you say under the skin, where under the skin? Just right below the surface. Right below the surface of a skin. It's a little teeny nick um, placed under local anesthesia. And Is it on your arm? Is on it your chest. On, your, on chest. your chest. It's inserted under your skin, under your left chest area. We glue the little site and patients can go home right afterwards. Showers, swimming, it's... Oh, all normal activity, yes. And that's so that you can monitor them. Okay, so what does that kind of monitor tell you then? For somebody who's got to live with that, who, mm -hmm. who you're essentially microchipping, um, then at what point would you call a patient and say, all right, you got to come in, we have to change something in your regimen? The device actually has pre-programming that can set for certain alerts that if we see these certain things occur, say the heart rhythm pauses for so many seconds, it will send us an alert which then will be checked by a, automatically from the monitoring service and then we'll be notified and we can contact the patient to try to um, correlate what they were doing at the time that that um, abnormal uh, alert was uh, occurred. Is this for, for patients who, who have a particularly high risk for mortality, uh, sudden urgent care needs with heart rhythms? No, not necessarily. These can be in otherwise healthy patients that have a very rare or infrequent abnormal heart rhythm that may occur maybe once a year and or a symptom that they 
have passed out, for example, is another indication that we'll put this in. But the episodes are very infrequent to where wearing a monitor for 30 days is impractical because the event is so infrequent that a monitor like that is often offered to the patient as a choice to help determine what may be causing that problem. When you talk about somebody passing out, yeah, this is a serious Correct. problem uh, that can happen with, with arrhythmia. So would this monitor give you any kind of signs uh, that, that they're getting to that point, that their rhythms are showing that they're, I mean, you, you don't, they don't suddenly get a, a 911 call to them saying, don't drive for the next, Correct. have somebody drive you to the ER? I mean, is it that kind of an acute warning system? No, not necessarily. It's just simply gathering information and documenting what the patient's heart rhythm is doing. So if they have another episode, say, for the example of where they pass out, their heart rhythm is this time being monitored when that event occurs. It doesn't stop the patient from passing out. It just tells us what their heart rhythm is doing when that event occurred. So we would know if, indeed, the patient's heart rhythm was a possible cause for that problem or not. So it's an information gathering. That's right. Okay. Diagnostic tool only. All right. So you've diagnosed. Now it's time to treat. What is in your toolbox? That ranges from anything from just reassurance to all the way to performing invasive procedures that could involve either implanting a device to help with the patient's abnormal heart rhythm or to a procedure that in some cases can actually... Um, cure the patient of the heart rhythm problem and to where that would not be something that they have to worry about in the future. Okay, least invasive to most invasive. Correct. So what, what are the treatments and what are those experiences for the patient? The least invasive treatment for a heart arrhythmia would be, I guess, reassurance. reassurance. Calm down, you're That's fine. Right. Um, right. To having to treat pharmacologically, I guess. Yes, well, there's medications that are often utilized in treating a patient's abnormal heart rhythm that can be a scope of different types of heart medications to, like I said, the procedures as well. All right, and some of these medications have side effects that they can. can be life-affecting mm -hmm. to the point where the better procedure would then be something like uh, electrophysiology. It could be. That's correct. If the patient is on the... We try to choose a medication that will have the least side effects or the dosage that would cause the least side effects, but if at some point in time the patient does develop intolerable side effects and no other medication is available or other alternative medications have been tried and still do not accomplish the goal of trying to control the patient's abnormal heart rhythm, then in many cases the option would be an invasive evaluation of the patient's abnormal heart rhythm to see if it could be treated invasively. In some instances, invasive evaluation and there's guidelines that are written by the American College of Cardiology and the Heart Rhythm Society and the American Heart Association and they're ranked by class from one to three where in many cases invasive evaluation is considered class one which is first-line therapy. In some cases first-line therapy recommendation is medication. When we decide that it, for the patient that invasive evaluation is the proper way to go that involves a procedure that we were just describing where it's done in a hospital setting in a, spe a special room called an electrophysiology lab that has very unique specialized recording equipment where we will take 
catheters, which are just very large IVs basically that are placed in the veins and it's done under anesthesia. Patients are sedated and some kind, sometimes they're completely asleep. And we place these catheters that they look like the size of angel hair pasta in terms of their, their size. They're very small and they have little electrodes on the end of it that can detect very, very small electrical signals being generated by the heart's electrical conduction system. And those electrical signals are then sent to an amplifier to which then increases that signal so we can actually see them. And then during that procedure, we take baseline measurements, what the patient's heart rhythm and conduction system is doing at rest, and then we can put it through some different tests. And what that involves is that those same catheters with electrodes can act like temporary pacemaker wires. And so we can create an electrical impulse to cause the heart to contract through our control and we can see what the response is. And we know from years of data and experience what a normal response is and what an abnormal response is. And you can reset some of those electrical impulse connection issues. We can reset it temporarily, right? not permanently. So the permanent solution in terms of invasive procedures would be a pacemaker. For some patients, a pacemaker is indicated. In other patients, um, there's another type of device called a defibrillator. And then finally, an ablation is another modality that can be offered to a patient to treat their abnormal heart rhythm. And each case is different as to what is the proper treatment for that problem. Pacemakers today? Well, the latest state-of-the-art pacemaker is, is multi-fold. Uh, Their battery longevity is in some cases pushing over 12 years now. The pacemakers are now and have been for some time safe with MRI use after they've been implanted for several months and the device is matured. They can be placed safely in an MRI. And the technology, many of the pacemakers now can be actually um, analyzed wirelessly and patients can have an app on their phone which will actually give them some diagnostic information to uh, see what's happening with their pacemaker as well as that information being sent to a remote monitoring service. These bandwidths in the access are all encrypted uh, for patient safety. This holiday season is a time when, because of the indulgences involved, you get a few more calls than usual, people wondering if they've got a heart rhythm problem? During the holiday season, we, we, we do see that typically a little bit more. It's actually been defined for many, many decades called holiday heart syndrome, especially on New Year's Day when people were out reveling in the new year and alcohol and champagne trigger an episode of atrial fibrillation. So that's something that's actually well documented in the literature. That's really the main thing that we will see over the holiday season, especially, like I said, on New Year's Day. Just with COVID-19, we have been seeing um, the experience of acute cases that with medical intervention eventually recover, though that can take a long time, the long haulers that we've heard of, patients whose recovery is really extended. What is our understanding at this time of COVID-19 and arrhythmia, or we see it sometimes referred to tachycardia. Is it a symptom while you're severely ill with COVID or an upper respiratory infection, or is it a result of COVID that's going to need treatment? What is our understanding of arrhythmia 
when we have to deal with COVID-19? Right now, our current understanding of the impact of COVID-19 on the cardiovascular system is primarily related to either direct injury to the heart muscle itself or to the vasculature. The one rare exception that we do at least know about with regards to COVID-19 and its impact on abnormal heart rhythm is related to the use of medical therapy. When you've seen the use of hydroxychloroquine and the combination with azithromycin antibiotic therapy, that medication combination can cause an abnormal change in the patient's electrical um, system that can lead and predispose somebody, even a healthy, otherwise healthy individual, to an abnormal, potentially life-threatening abnormal heart rhythm called torsade de point, which is a very unique, special kind of abnormal lethal arrhythmia. Aside from that, there, is, there has not been any um, direct knowledge or understanding that COVID-19 causes an abnormal heart rhythm. Patients with COVID-19 that do develop abnormal heart rhythms and that does occur, it's either due to actual infection or involvement of the heart itself causing inflammation of the heart muscle, which then could show up as an abnormal heart rhythm or the vasculatures, which can cause blockages to occur in the arteries of the blood vessels of the heart that can cause the muscle to not function properly, which then leads to an abnormal heart rhythm. And then finally, even in somebody who doesn't have any direct involvement of the cardiovascular system, just severe impairment of the respiratory system can lead to um, a patient having an abnormal heart rhythm as an indirect consequence of the virus's impact on the respiratory system. So if, if you were unlucky enough to become infected with coronavirus and develop some abnormal heart rhythm because you were just so sick with it, and mm-hmm. is that kind of arrhythmia the temporary kind that, that might resolve on its own? We don't know in terms of you know, we how don't. long it... We don't. It's still very early, but we have seen that patients who had direct involvement of the cardiovascular system that have recovered say, for example, they had inflammation of the heart muscle, which led to an impairment of how the heart functioned. I have seen, and other physicians have seen, where their heart functions have recovered with treatment or resolution of the virus, at least for the short term, because we don't have any long-term data at this point in time, those problems resolve with it. But we will obviously need to continue to closely monitor these patients for possible late recurrences of any residual effect of the virus. So if you're feeling any of the symptoms you discussed, you shouldn't wait it out. And it's safe to come see your doctor and get checked out. People are, are staying away because they're worried about COVID, but, but essentially this is not something to wait over. Yeah, no, you shouldn't. There's been some very sobering data that we're coming up with now where many patients during especially the initial phase of the outbreak had problems and they suffered through either a stroke or a heart attack at home because of fear of going to the hospital and they have suffered irreparable damage because of that fear. That should not be the case now. If you feel that there's something wrong, seek care because we have taken measures to protect both the provider as well as the patient 
to provide them the safest atmosphere that they can have um, evaluation of their problems and not sit at home and potentially even die, which has been unfortunately documented in many cases because the patient was too afraid to seek medical attention. If you're feeling anything wrong with your heart rhythm, if you notice on your heart monitor that you may have at home, whether it be a blood pressure cuff that can check a pulse to the advanced now cardiac monitoring tools like an Apple Watch or Fitbit and another one called Cardiomobile that are available and anything suggests that, that something is wrong, do contact your provider. Don't be afraid. If you can't get into your provider and you can call, then if needed, go to the emergency room to where you can be assessed. But sometimes if you're having the symptoms that either your monitor says is abnormal or if you feel that your heart is fluttering or skipping, if you feel dizzy or you're short of breath unexplicably, that could be an abnormal heart rhythm or it could be something other health related that would still be pertinent to have evaluation uh, by a healthcare provider. If you wanna find out more about arrhythmia and the treatments that Deborah offers, how do you find out? So if you are feeling any symptoms that we had discussed earlier, such as palpitations, dizziness, feeling your heart skipping a beat, or even if you don't have any symptoms but your heart monitor suggests you're having an abnormal heart rhythm, you can go to demanddevora.org and this will provide you with additional information but also contact information that you can utilize to help set up an appointment for further evaluation. If you are experiencing symptoms such as what we described earlier, your heart skipping a beat or fluttering, if you feel that you're having dizziness or shortness of breath that is not explained by other possible causes that you've experienced before and have seen your doctor by and you think it might be your abnormal, abnormal heart rhythm, or if your heart monitoring device suggests an abnormal heart rhythm without any symptoms, you can go to DeborahSpecialists.com. You can always listen to all of the informative Deborah Doctor interviews at DeborahHealthReport.com. For an appointment, demanddeborah.org.